Well, last Sunday night, you got one-third of a sermon that I was going to take care of all in one night and uh, didn't get it done. So tonight, you're going to get the other third. And then, uh, yet, uh, the last third, we're going to wait till next week, apparently, uh, based upon what I've been preparing. So I'd like you to turn to First Samuel. We've been talking about the government within the home. And... Our conversation has been really, our discussion and examination has really been upon the role of the husband slash father. Of course, that is where the government shoulders are. That's where God has rested the authority for the home, is on dad, on husband. And we looked at what happens when we fail as men in our families. We've seen the strife, the conflict, the misery. Those are the words being used in 1 Samuel 1. We see the bitterness that comes out as we fail to provide leadership by following God's patterns and God's best for our home life. We also found even in Eli, and these are godly men, these are not the wicked, evil men out there. These are godly men who failed failed in their homes. And God takes Eli, the priest, this is the priest of Israel, uh, to task over his sons, even into their late adulthood. They were in middle age, at least, and God takes them to task. And his um, uh, statement was, you honor your sons more than me. And for that, you will be judged, your sons will be judged, and uh, this ministry will be taken away from you and your family. I had given you a promise that if you would walk before me, that if you would obey me, you could uh, serve in the house forever. Uh, That is your lineage. But instead now, all of your children are going to die, and they're all going to never become old men. Uh, Which we're going to talk about the other side of that in a couple of weeks, about uh, the necessity of young men to be responsive to godly fathers. But here it's very evident that God puts responsibility ultimately for that upon Eli as the father. So you have Elkanah and Eli. We looked last week, though, at what Elkanah was doing right. And that he was leading his family to fulfill the requirements that God would have upon them. Uh, that they, when Hannah was not feasting before the Lord, when she showed up with joy and thanksgiving... Uh, that he confronted her with that. He said, well, what's going on? Why, are you, why this? He knew what was going on, but he wanted to confront it for her. And that drove her to prayer. Very powerful uh, result to drive your wife to go and pray. Uh, so then when she was done with that exercise, she comes back and it says she ate and her face was no longer sad. And that God took that away, that bitterness, that strife, that uh, misery away, uh, and began really with a husband confronting her. She responded not by um, uh, ignoring that or rejecting that, but rather she went and prayed to the Lord and wept before Him. And the result, any result. Well then, of course, three years later, we have Elkanah confronting her again over a vow that she had made, really for three years in a row, 
at each annual uh, event of his birthday and the, and the coming to the temple for sacrifice, he confronts her about the vow that she had made that day in prayer and that she needed to fulfill that and uh, that it was something that she needed to take care of before the Lord. It was her vow. She needed to um, commit it to fulfilling that. Um, she, he gave her the freedom to do so at her uh, timing, but he warns her, even as he did before, and he warns her by saying, you know, the Lord is going to establish his word. The Lord will not be made a fool out of. The Lord will not be uh, ignored or uh, treated this way. You can't do a bait and switch with God. You can't sit there and vow a vow and then not fulfill it. That's something that Elkanah had learned and, and was teaching his family and and warned his wife. And so now we come to the point of parenting that for most of you would be unthinkable. And that is an issue. That really is the issue of the night. But we're going to talk about training a child to be a servant. And it doesn't begin with Eli. The training of Samuel to be a servant of God began with Hannah and Elkanah in the home. And while we might say, well, this goes into the church structure, and we're going to get there eventually, we're going to come back to this passage. We start talking about government within the church, government within society, um, and we're going to look at those aspects throughout 1 Samuel. But in government in the home, um, we're still going to drive home the point of where it starts and the impact it has on children when it is done well and in a God-fearing manner. Let's go, Lord, in prayer before we get into that. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the opportunity to look into your word tonight, and we pray that we might be attentive to its truth, not just to educate ourselves to learn it, but to bring it into our very lives in a very practical, direct manner that we might be willing to walk in the steps that you have described for us and pointed to and invited us to. And Lord, we do pray that as we look into your word, as always, that your spirit might guide us in your truth, that we might correctly apply it to our lives and uh, that we might trust in you to uh, make up that difference between what we can see by our sight and what we can see by your word as instructions, that you might uh, reward that faith that will walk according to your light when the world says no. Give us the boldness to say yes. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Well, Hannah had made a vow. Lord, you give me a son, and I will return him to you. Uh, it's a very interesting play on a Hebrew word uh, that you, uh, this is the asked-for child, and I'm going to uh, return him to you uh, as a, and lend him to you is the word that's used here. But it's really a, uh, a transition of the same word that as I have asked for, now I am going to give to you. I am going to return him to you. Uh, and recognize that uh, he was an asked-for child. And that's really what Samuel means, asked of the Lord. Uh, and so we find that even in the name Samuel, we have this idea that this is a child that was asked of God. And so I'm going to uh, uh, respond because I made a vow. The vow uh, was um, given in verse 11. It says that... Uh, uh, 
If you will indeed look upon the affliction of your maidservant, remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. Very powerful commitment. Before even the pregnancy, my child will belong to the Lord. And the time to do parental dedications is not a week after they're born. The time to do parental dedications is probably about uh, a week after you're married. Because that's about when you should start thinking about having kids, somewhere in there. Oh, did he just say that? That's one of the goals and objectives, among others, of marriage. And so we find that this attitude is, Lord, I'm going to commit myself, that I'm going to raise them in this fashion, and I'm going to give them back to you. That I'm really looking for some evidence that, uh, that of your blessing, your hand upon my life, and I'm recognizing this child is a gift from you, and as you gift me, I'm going to give him to you all the days of his life. And of course, this is what Elkanah takes her to task for. Listen, you made a vow all the days of his life. He belongs to the Lord. And so now we know when life begins, it begins when you are weaned. No, that's not true. Uh, it begins much earlier, and hence Elkanah's statements, when is this going to come to be? When are you going to give this to the Lord, this child? And of course, that's going to happen when he is weaned. He's going to be about three years old. And so they would have brought a heifer, whether it was three heifers or a three-year-old heifer, a heifer you know, that was set aside from his birth to be raised for this specific purpose. Hannah is going to bring him to the temple. And she's going to make arrangements here with Eli. She's going to still care for his physical needs in terms of uh, his food and things along that line, but he's presenting him to the Lord for the Lord's service. And the place I want to take you, first of all, is what kind of attitude do three-year-olds have towards a mom like this? This is not abandonment. This is a mother who has committed herself, even before you were conceived, of giving you to the Lord, raising you in a manner of a Nazarene, taking the Nazarene vow that uh, no razor is going to touch your head, you're not going to touch things that are dead, you're going to be given this Nazarene vow, um, like Samson had. And what is the impact upon that in your parenting? Now the world will come to you and say, well, this child is going to sense abandonment, this child is going to be devastated, it's going to feel rejected, all of these things, but I will contend that those are all wrong. That this child understood this was a loving parent who prayed for him. His name says so. Asked of the Lord. Samuel. Asked of God. I wanted you from God. And now I am giving you to him and we are immediately introduced to, uh, in, to pouring into this child, I mean, this is a very small child, uh, understanding of a role that God has destined him for. Why is he determined that for him? Um, well, it goes back to Hannah's prayer, and that God, Hannah had already committed him to the Lord, and so when the Lord blessed her womb, she conceives that child is his, even doubly more than every child is really a gift from God. Set aside for this purpose. That is sanctified. That's the word sanctified. Set aside to the Lord or to a certain purpose. And so we find that this mother comes in and instead of any idea of abandonment or rejection, rather this is 
You are set aside to the Lord in my life. It does not mean that I am not going to fulfill the responsibilities I have for your care. Um, This begins with the weaning process, with the nursing of the child. And I'm going to carry responsibility for making sure that as you grow, you're going to have clothes to grow into. I'm accepting those responsibilities, but I want to communicate to you that you are an asked-for child, and now you are the Lord's. And in that capacity, Hannah sets a stage for Samuel's life. That rather than diminishing his self-perception, I believe this elevates his self-perception to understand his purpose. And we think a three-year-old can begin to catch that? Oh, yes, they can. If you're waiting until after they're three to begin training a child in the way they ought to go, you are about three years too late. Well, at least two and a half years too late. Um, And this is where we begin to understand that a child of three already has language skills, already has certain survival skills, certain life skills in place. Um, They are well on their way to understanding the world. Now, if you think that's not much, okay, they can talk. I want you to consider just how difficult that skill is. Um, We're going to learn Chinese tonight. How many think we'll get done before the service is over? In the next year? Two years? Be skilled in a new language starting tonight in the next two years. Fluently speaking it. Now, that's with you understanding language structure, knowing, well, I've got to learn the vocabulary, I've got to learn the... And, and your three-year-old doesn't learn any of that. They learn language. They're little learning machines. Now, I would contend that as quickly as they're picking up language, they are picking up everything that you're communicating to them outside of language, inclusive of language, though, of who they are, what they are for, and what they can and should be. The brain that is capable of learning language skills is equally capable of reading every other sign and signal and communication that you are giving them as a parent or that we are giving them as a community. They are learning what's important. They are learning priorities. They are learning what they can get away with. They are learning where your limitations are. They are learning what your priorities are. They are learning all of this at an extremely fast rate. And the idea that somehow... Once they're five years old, we'll start teaching them is foolishness, and we all really know it. But they've begun learning at a very early age, and so I'm not going to discount the influence of Elkanah and Hannah on a three-year-old who shows up at the temple one day ready to serve the Lord in what we would call full-time ministry. Three-year-old. Ready to serve the Lord. How does that happen? And I will contend it happens by the time they're three to a large degree. And it happens by them understanding their role in the home and their place. And servanthood is all about understanding place. It requires humility to be a servant. And humility is about recognizing where I am in this strata of authority. And if I have a servant's heart, where do I understand myself to be in the strata of authority? Not up here, 
but down here. And this is communicated in the home, and I have encountered children who understand themselves as children. That they are in this point in the strata of authority, that they are down here. I have also encountered children three years old and younger who believe themselves in the strata of authority to be up here. And it is evident. By three years old, they have determined whether they can rule this house or whether this house rules them. Easily. They have already tested the limits and they know where they can notch it up in that strata, all the layers. They have learned the layers. They have learned the distinction between dad and mom or mom and dad, depending upon the home. Should be dad, mom, but a lot of them are mom, dad. They understand this. And, and if you want to see a cute but sad picture of that, um, there's a movie called Babe. And uh, the farm animals outside the house call the husband boss, but the cat inside the house calls the wife boss. Kind of interesting perspective there, isn't it? You know, she's the one in charge inside. He's outside in charge. And so your children can pick that up pretty quick. Who's the boss? And, and uh, they also know that uh, they can boss one person, whether mom or dad, and not the other. They also learn that very quickly right here in our church of who they can mess with and who they can't. And so you'll have some people walk in a room, that child sit down. Walk in the nursery. We're going to sit in a chair, we're going to sing, we're going to do this. I know this because I teach the nursery. And I know that they act very differently when I'm in the nursery than when some of you are in the nursery. Because they know their perimeters. And they recognize face, and that face means this. That guy comes in this room, this is how we're going to have to behave ourselves. Then comes the big problems. The problem is, is when someone who they think they can manipulate and control is in the room, and someone they can't is in the room. Now, the test starts. Now, and why do they act the way they act in those environments? They act the way they act to try to measure which of these two people have greater authority. So when they're playing mom against dad, they're trying to figure out who's in charge and how they can control both of them. Well, it's the same thing when mom walks in the nursery with pastor. Who's in charge? Well, it's my nursery, moms. So I don't even question. I don't give them anything that they don't get when you're not there. Hannah brings this young man to the temple ready to serve God because he understands where he lands. He's a servant of the Lord. And so he has no problems transitioning to Eli and we're going to find him very responsive to Eli's authority because Hannah established that early on and Elkanah as well. You are going, and you might say, well, this is going to elevate this child in his mind. I am the asked for of the Lord. I am the one but no, she's being prepared and you're going to be a servant of God. Your purpose in life is to serve the Lord. And this training began before he ever arrived. And when we see Samuel coming into the place and we find him picking right up as a three-year-old, serving the Lord in the temple, right at the side of Eli, we find Eli being exceptionally excited about this, it seems to me anyway. Um, he's thrilled with it. 
Um, and uh, when they brought the child to him, and he accepts this child and raised him as his own. Uh, he's going to train him to serve the Lord in the temple area, in the temple services. Uh, he did a lot better job with Samuel than he did with his own kids. He must have learned something along the way. Uh, but we find Samuel trained to be, you are designed to be a servant. And I would contend that this is the number one skill and lesson that our children need to learn as early as we can begin to teach it. You are not here to be served. You are not here to rule this house. You are not here to have the world revolve around you. And we raise these children as little princesses. princesses. Uh, we always use the female. I don't know if we ever raise princes. Princesses. That the world revolves around them. And this doesn't just the only child. This is all children have this capacity within themselves to want to rule. It is part of the nature of man that must be subjugated. Now that doesn't mean we crush them in the ground, destroy their will. It is directing their will to understand that our greatest achievement in life is service. The greatest achievement in life is not to sit on a throne and be served. And of course, our number one example is Jesus Christ who humbled himself all the way from being God and, and having all of it and, and having the right to demand all of it to being a baby born in a manger in a poorest family and, and being raised that way. And then living perfectly but dying on a cross, slaughtered by his own people that he created, mankind. The people he was dying for were the ones killing him. We often give examples of sacrifice. Well, if someone went out there and, and grabbed you and pulled you away from an automobile or semi-truck getting ready to plow you over and kill you, would you feel indebted? But that's not really the imagery. The imagery is that uh, more along the line of someone went out there to save you from drowning and you drowned them in the process of them saving you from drowning. Because you are the, your sin is the one that costs that sacrifice. And so when we understand that example of Christ and bring it into the leadership within our home and the training of our children and the need to train them that if you want real joy in life, if you want real fulfillment, if you really want to set the stage for a, the active Christian life, we've got to communicate servanthood. And we don't do it sufficiently. We try to press it a little bit in word life clubs, but we really don't do it enough. That we have service awards and uh, mission awards, and we try to get them to think of others instead of themselves. It is the nature of children to think of children themselves, of myself, me, me, me. And in their mind, the world resolves around them. And the more we feed that gruesome beast, the faster it will grow. It doesn't need help to grow, but what we find is our society's view of parenting has determinedly fed that nasty beast that says, I'm the center of the universe. Everything revolves around me. 
And this has created a generation, now maybe two generations, of selfish people that don't understand the idea of community, don't understand service, don't understand sacrifice, really, and therefore, they are not engaged in it. If they are, it's for selfish ends only. They don't understand a responsibility to a community. And it's becoming rarer and rarer that we have a servant mentality, that there is a greater good to be served outside of just my own interests, and that I can actually give up my own interests, even to the point of my life, in service to my ideals, in service to a nation, in service to my family, in service to God. Because we are not raising them at a very young age to begin thinking like servants. And we are, well, how do you begin thinking like a servant? We already talked about understanding where you are on this on these levels of authority within the home. That we establish authority in the home. We establish the home's government. And that there here's dad. This lay my mom's husband. And that relationship is more important than my relationship with my mom or my relationship with my dad. Is that this man is my mom's husband. That the husband and wife relationship is understood by them as being prior to their relationship. How do you communicate that to a three-year-old? You sit them down, you instruct them, you give them a chart, right? Moms, how do you communicate that to your children? You do it the same way you communicate everything else. By all the facial features, by all the um, nonverbal language, by the verbal language, by your actions, everything communicates to those kids whether they're more important to you or your husband is more important to you. Which comes first? I say, is that really that important? It is vital that your children understand, moms that and dad, that your relationship with their father is more important than your relationship with them. Dads, it's more important, it's vital that your children understand that your relationship with your wife is of greater value and importance to you than your relationship with them. And so to build this right spirit in your children that we see in Samuel that's going to be carried out where he's, as soon as he hears his, Samuel, Samuel, he's jumping up and running up. Here I am, what do you want? And we're all like, man, I want kids like that. As soon as you say Samuel, the middle night's like, why are you bothering me? No, I want a kid that jumps up, runs the, what do you want? Here I am. Well, it didn't just happen that night, folks. It started at home a long time earlier. So it begins, that dynamic of where do I fit in this government of the home, it begins by understanding that this relationship up here between my mom and my dad is not only chronologically before mine, but as a priority of life, it is more important than me. And once your children grasp that, and if you 
energize your relationship with your between husbands and wives to communicate that to your children by the way you treat one another, by the way the wife submits to the husband, by the way the husband uh, cherishes his wife. Um, those children, once they establish that, that mom is more important to dad than we are. Your kids will be happy. They'll be content. They will be fulfilled. You will not damage their self-esteem. Trust me, they have too much of it from the day they go, their self-esteem is a problem. It will be the greatest blessing you can give to your children is to help them understand that nothing, no one, comes between your mom and your dad. Once they establish that, now they know that in this pecking order, um, in dad's mind, I'm somewhere below mom. In mom's mind, I'm somewhere below dad. So we've established that right away, that government. And that's huge. And I see a lot of moms failing right there. I see a lot of dads failing right there. And... A lot of them heading to divorce, or should be, and they're using the kids against each other, and it's horrible. And the kids just get torn up inside, and ultimately they understand that they're the most mature person in this relationship, in this home. And they figure out how to manipulate that. And we all know that happens, because mom says, no, I'm going to go talk to dad, not because he has great authority, but because, you know, I've got to play him out against each other. And usually my kids will say, oh, did mom say anything? Is mom say anything? Or else I will say whatever mom says. Or mom will say whatever dad says. Well, if that's her answer. But if my kid ever comes to me and lies to me about that and misrepresents mom, oh my goodness. They're lucky to still be alive by the end of the day. Don't you ever put mom's words in her mouth that she didn't say. Oh, that's worse than lying is misrepresenting a parent. And there are significant consequences for that kind of thing. So we want to build servants. It begins by Hannah communicating to her child, listen, (laughs) you're going to be leaving here at three, but you're going to be leaving as a servant. You're not going there to run the temple. You're going there to serve in the temple. And we find that out pretty quick um, because we have him showing up in a linen ephod. And you go, what in the world is a linen ephod? It's simply a servant's apparel. It's what the priests all wore because they were servants of the Lord in the temple. And so he is dressed, you might say he was dressed as a priest. He was dressed as a servant priest. And so he was dressed to be there. And we find uh, uh, Hannah's going to be rejoicing in all the Lord has provided. But I want you to notice in her prayer a couple of things. You ready? I'm going to jump to prayer to kind of draw out some of these truths. Verse 2, No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Your children better learn that very early. And if you need to sing songs to them, don't sing about cradles and branches and boughs breaking. Learn some songs that have some substance. Like, Great is the Lord. Your children need to know that, that God is over them, over you, and is over all. This is her song, that she's praying, her prayer. And and we have it here in prose, but uh, 
This is what she's declaring, that there is no one holy like the Lord. You don't compare to God, kid. No one compares to God. He's holy. He's the rock. He's the one and only one like him. And so verse 3 is the outworking. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. You want to measure yourself by your strength? It says in verse 4, The bows of mighty men are broken. Those who stumble are girded with strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread. The hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the barren has born seven, and she has many children has become feeble. The Lord kills the Lord and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. What are we getting out of all this, folks? If you're a three-year-old here and your mom, pray like this. What is he getting out of this? Where is he? Have you heard Samuel at all in this prayer? Oh, thank you, Lord, for this kid. I'm so glad I finally got a daughter after all these boys. She's not here in that prayer. By the way, I'm just picking on Jenny because it's the newest mom. I get to do that. And oh, I have this angel. Oh, thank you, Lord, for this angel. And we pray that over our kid. What a mistake. You don't see your name in him, do you? Read through that prayer. This is all about the Lord. This is about how he devastates the strength of man that the wisdom of man is nothing, that the adversaries of the Lord are nothing, um, that the Lord judges is the judge of the earth. He's holy. Um, he can exalt who he wants to exalt and abase who he wants to abase. I mean, this lady's got some heavy-duty theology in this praying as she's releasing her child to the service of the Lord at three years old. And some of your moms go, how could she do it? How could she do that? I would contend that she does it because of this kind of praying. That she understands where she is compared to God. And that her humbling before the Lord, that I was dependent upon the Lord, I was barren, and the Lord has blessed me with this son that I asked for, and God gave it to me. And so praise to the Lord, um, and not, oh, thank you for this little angel boy, and oh, how I can leave him, and... and you don't see any of that in here. You see this lady. This is a powerful prayer of a lady with, that's very different than the lady we met in chapter 1, don't you think? Who is weeping and miserable and bitter. This lady is strong. And she's praying a prayer glorifying God. And this is the kind of information I'm convinced that Samuel was fed for the first three years while he was being nursed. You have a holy God to serve. And he's powerful. And he's the judge of all the earth. And you better recognize that that's who you're serving. Not, oh, you're going to be a great guy in the temple. You're going to be lifted up and exalted. You're going to take down the house of Eli. And this isn't the stuff she's feeding him. She wasn't propping up his ego with all this nonsense. She was devastating him with knowledge of who God is. And it is devastating, even for a three-year-old. You know, God gave you life, he can take it away. Just like that. Think about it. We find this whole idea of understanding 
that we have no place for any pride. And so, verse 3, I focus on verse 3 a lot, often in my reading. um, I have a reading list for humility. (laughs) I find that even at my age, I still have to keep visiting that. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. This is one of those, don't you ever talk arrogantly. And I would contend that when parents talk too highly of their children, this is arrogant speech. And it does damage to our children. Because they're already having issues of esteeming themselves, and now we have made it worse by elevating them in our speech in front of them. The world says this is what they need. They need our affirmation. You need to affirm your kid and affirm your kid and affirm your kid. When they go to school, what happens to them? They have been taught, all your teachers are trained in affirmation. Affirm them, affirm them, affirm them. Oh, you'll get it, honey. You're this, you're this. You know what? There is nothing affirming when we are confronted with a holy, holy, holy God. Is there? Where does that make me? Oh, man. He's a holy, he's going to judge all the earth. You know, there's no weapon on earth that can go up against him. And this thing that there's no arrogance from your mouth. Talk no more very proudly. Because God is the God of knowledge. He is the one of power. Um, He is the rock. And by Him, actions are weighed. As much as prayer, this prayer is to the Lord, I'm convinced it's in the hearing of Samuel. Samuel, listen. You are here to serve the Lord. And I can talk about what you're capable of or not capable of, but what you really need to know is who it is you're serving. Because once you grasp him a little bit, even as a child, even as a three-year-old, to understand the Lord as I represent him to you as dad, as mom, as a parent, as one in authority, if we have properly represented authority to them by exercising it, now they can begin to connect that directly to God. That as I am an authority over you, I am under an authority to God that now is the authority over you. And if you think I'm tough, try dealing with a holy, holy, holy God as your judge. We do not see the role of parenting sufficiently in terms of government that we are there as an authority in that child's life, maybe among the first things we need to establish. That dad and mom, inseparable. You come between us. You do not rank up here with us in this relationship. This relationship trumps all other relationships in the home. I think my kids know that. Do you guys know that? Yeah. Because I, I was like, yeah, we've heard that a hundred times. You know. We taught it very early to our kids. No way do you come before my wife. And that is borne out in action as well as speech and in attitude and in the way we engage one another, uh, discuss things together, the way we defer to one another. And then once we establish that, then we establish that role of servanthood. That we have this authority and that this is my home. And I remember sending my son out to the curb in preschool. Before he ever went to school, he had a trip to the curb with a backpack. I don't know if he remembers that. He didn't get very far. He just 
walked out of sight and sat on a curb and cried. But uh, I remember sending him out the door and saying, Son, this is my house. You don't want to obey? There's the door. Put on his little backpack and walked out the door. You can do that to a three-year-old and not crush their spirit? Absolutely. What was I establishing? Authority. Authority. So that this, all it took. Well, when this in public happens, they know it's going to happen in private. But this doesn't happen by itself, that that sound means something to them until it's been trained at the home that this is the authority that's established and the world doesn't believe this because we're being, our homes are being run by children. They determine all the activity of the home. But the fact is that homes where children understand that they are there under authority unquestionably are happier, more content, more fulfilled, more successful, more productive, more intelligent. Because no longer do they have to try to work every environment and every day and sometimes every week it changes because there's different guys coming in and out where they are in the strata because they know where they are. It's been firmly established and it has to be by the parents. How does Samuel come out to be such a servant? Well, Hannah's prayer tells us how. And her whole spirit. This is the Lord's. I am under obligation to fulfill my vow to the Lord. Which means I'm going to bring you as a three-year-old kid, drop you off at the temple, and get on my donkey and go home. And I'll see you next year when you're four. With a change of clothes. Now compare that to the world's view. Tiger mom and bear cub mom and all those. Wasn't there Tiger Mom was a Chinese ladies book and there was the bear cub. I'm, I'm a mama bear, mama bear, and these are my cubs. What a different attitude Hannah has. Why? Because she submitted herself not only to her husband but to the Lord, gives this child to him, and she is communicating to him who God is and where this child fits in this sphere. And until parents are ready to do that, your children will constantly strive to run your house. And they will succeed. Because once they get in their mind that they have more authority or they can manipulate authority to bend to their wishes, they will exercise it to the nth degree. And to get that authority back out of their hands is an incredible amount of work. And that's why they're so successful at it, because most adults aren't willing to put in the energy, the effort, the work, the diligence, year after year of establishing authority. First three years are critical, but it doesn't mean that once it hasn't been done in the first three years that it's not recoverable. But it's going to take that much more work later on. Once we let this child speak out of turn, treat mom or dad disrespectfully in our presence, without discipline. Once we let them treat any adult inappropriately, and that isn't measured by you, it's measured by the adult that they're dealing with. Okay? 
how Benjamin relates to me inappropriately or inappropriately isn't determined by David and Weida, it's determined by me. How they should be treated by me. And sometimes, now in this culture, it's not even there. Because now we have adults telling children, call me by my first name. Wrong. Wrong, 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 wrong. Wrong. My children still call, even though they're adults, call a lot of you by your Mr. and Mrs. Because I do. And so we train these children to understand servanthood, and that begins by training them against their nature. And the nature is pride. The nature moves them to high esteem of themselves. You have to fight against that nature and that is where training is. You leave a child all by itself, they will take over. You don't have them under authority, they will manipulate and seek to control and they will learn the ropes, whether they have to whine or cry or sit or stomp or kick a wall or beat their head on something. They'll figure out a way to get their will. But if they learn early on, none of those things work. And they, we fight against nature to train them in humility, to train them of where they fit. Where are you? Well, you're here. We're not here to serve you. We're here to train you. You're here to serve your family. And last night I had a great experience. We had a dinner here and... Uh, they're like, your kids are just are willing to serve. And I was out in the parking lot. I'd never seen any kids like this. And service is what our family is all about. Because I don't know how you can live a vital Christian life without understanding servanthood. And it is what we are. And it's time we communicate it to our kids by not uh, trying to lift them up all the time. We communicate our kids by serving them with our authority. The greatest service you can do to your child is establish where they are in this strata of community, of government. This is how you serve the children is by exercising your authority the way God designed it. So they can learn that this is my place here. And they'll test it, they'll test it, they'll test it. Sure. But every time they test it, it should be well-established. Reaffirmed. Sometimes brutally, but reaffirmed. You are not in charge of anything. You do not over-talk mom and dad. You do not contradict us like you know something. You do not ignore us like you didn't hear. Obedience Real godly obedience is immediate. Without you heard me say, without delay, without question, without complaint. That kind of obedience takes a lot of energy in the earliest years by establishing authority. And Hannah's prayer gives us a great understanding that this family knew authority. God's, and we are his, his holy, we're going to be judged by him, and 
What is man's response to knowing God? Verse 3. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. Teach your child, verse 3, the way Hannah taught Samuel. And you'll have an opportunity, at least, if that child is responsive to that. And we're going to talk about we aren't determinists here. If that child is responsive to that, to have a real servant heart in your home among your children. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us, for the great example and the, that Hannah gives us in her prayer that we need to communicate to our children of what humility is. By ourselves being submissive to your authority and demanding that they be submissive to the authorities that you've put over their lives, including not only within our home and the parents, but uh, within the community as well and among adults and uh, others. And Lord, we just pray that we might be diligent in that. And Lord, we thank you for your help in advance because you have promised it that those who want to follow you will do so with your Spirit's power. And we pray that we might uh, choose to exercise our will to obey your design for the home. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.